Hey everybody, and welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 127. Yep, it's going to be cool. We got uh, Derek Gilbert and Josh Peck on the line today. Uh-oh. Two of our, what? That's a that's a dangerous combination. Oh, okay. You had me worried for a second. <laughs> but yes, it was a dangerous co- uh, combination of characters. Uh, if you're a longtime Canary Cry Radio listener, you're going to love this. And if you are a new listener, you're going to have a chance to catch up with a couple of good friends of the show. Uh, and, um, and if you haven't heard of Derek Gilbert and Josh Peck yet, you should definitely go check them out. We'll give you all the links and things to do that. But... Before we do that, I want to say thank you for everyone who has been uh, dropping iTunes ratings and reviews. That means a lot, and uh, that's putting the show out there. Over there on the Facebook Canary Cry community, we had a little thread going about how everybody uh, learned about the show. First of all, word of mouth is the number one way to do it. Second of all, I mean, iTunes robots really helped spread the word. Imagine that, Gon's algorithm's actually helping us out. Wow. Let's, let's figure out what that algorithm is and then uh, well, t- improve upon you, it. I'll tell you what that algorithm is. It's our listeners going to iTunes and leaving ratings and reviews for Canary Cry Radio. And then the robots are like, hmm, this must be pretty good. I'm going to tell other people about it. And they do, and we trick them. <laughs> <laughs> Manipulate um, the algorithms. Yes, exactly. Yes. Guns, tell us a little bit about what we're going to hear in this conversation with Josh and Derek. One of the things that's really cool talking with these guys, you get a little background or a behind the scenes of what it's like at Skywatch TV on a day-to-day basis. So get a little bit of that, and then we dive into their book, and it's into all kinds of areas. WikiLeaks emails, Edgar Mitchell, uh, aliens visiting us. Supernatural experiences, virtual worlds, and ET religion, and uh, aliens. Yeah, you're gonna have to um, you're gonna have to listen for that one. Yeah, you guys are gonna like aliens. Um, okay, but that being said, we will get right into it here. Remember, we still have our red bubble, which we have not updated with any uh, brand new shirts yet. But we got a couple up there. We think you guys will like. And uh, anything else? Am I am I forgetting anything else? Oh, I will say this right here at the top. Uh, if you have not been checking out Canary Cry News Talk, you gotta go do that. You are missing out. Okay, but more about that after this interview. Gons, take us away. Okay. Up front now, the former Pentagon military official who ran the covert government program up until this last November, Luis Elizondo. Luis, thank you so much for your time tonight. I mean, first, tell us what the purpose of the program was and why it was so secret. Sure. Um, The purpose of the program, uh, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, was really designed to do just that. Um, From a national security perspective, identify those things that we see, whether uh, we see them electro-optically, we see them with radar, we see them uh, as uh, as eyewitness reports, um, through a myriad of different ways and avenues that we receive the information and try to ascertain and determine if that information is a potential threat to national security, in a nutshell. So, what did you find? Well, we found a lot. Um, I think uh, I think it's probably been a little bit mischaracterized in some of the, the, the social media you see and, and, and what people put out, because 
a lot of times when we don't have a lot of information, we tend to fill in those gaps with what we think is logical. Uh, and there's still, by the way, a lot we really don't know. Um, I think what's important is that we have identified some very, very interesting anomalous um, type of aircraft, let's call them aircraft. Things that don't have um, <coughs> any obvious flight surfaces, any obvious forms of propulsion, and maneuvering in ways um, that include extreme maneuverability beyond, uh, I would submit, the healthy G-forces of, uh, of a human or anything biological. Uh, hypersonic velocities, low observability, um, positive lift, again, seemingly in, in defying the laws of aerodynamics. So, um, people so do are you talking, think, I mean, I, you know, I know, but do you believe, you know, when, when you get that Navy pilot saying what he said, do you think that that was, um, you know, a UFO to, obviously, I don't have any other word to use, or that well, or something else? Sure, that's a great question. Keeping in mind, it's not just the, the pilot's testimony on an observation. Sure, when, when someone comes to you who's in charge of a multi-million dollar weapon platform, who maintains a top secret security clearance, who is paid and trusted by this country to go fight wars, and, and to fly over cities with, with live munitions. Um, and by the way, they're trained observers with millions of dollars invested in their training. Yep. I would submit to you it's pretty compelling, but on top of that, it's not just the eyewitness testimony. It is, it is actual electro-optical data and radar returns. It's also people like uh, radar operators and air traffic controllers. So I think the discussion is, should be maybe a little bit broader than that. I think people are focusing just on two videos uh, coming from a set of F-18s when, when really it's, it's, it's a lot, lot more than that. This is Canary Cry Radio. Hey, everybody, you are listening to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 127. 127. Very important number. Google it. <laughs> okay. Anyone... <laughs> Anyone who ventures into the vast wilderness of Christian Middle Earth will encounter the topic of UFO disclosure almost immediately. This seemingly fringe and often laughed at topic has become more legitimized in the public eye over the last couple years, with everything from emails revealed by WikiLeaks to rock stars forming organizations backed by former high-level government agents of alphabet soup agencies. How do we interpret this, especially as Christians looking at this as it unravels in front of us? Here to help us talk about it, our good friends, Derek Gilbert, Josh Peck. Welcome back, gentlemen. It's good to be back in the cage. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> We're trying to break out of the cage. That's Come on, man. Get your branding straight. <laughs> uh, the idea is to break out, not not come back in. But Thank you for trapping us in this web of deception once again. It's glad well, to we it's good to be here amongst the lies. and Yeah, welcome to the, the shill zoo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, guys, we're so excited to have you on the show. I know listeners out there have been asking for both of you, so getting you on one show is uh, is double trouble. or du Well, double the pleasure, double the trouble as well. Um, so we'll try to get some important information out here. But, I, you know, personally, I'm just so happy and a little bit afraid to have you both on the line at the same time. <laughs> Us too. Okay. 
So uh, I guess, Guns, you want to just jump right into it here? Or I don't want to skip any cool quips you may have had planned. No, I don't have anything interesting planned other than to to let Derek and Josh get into you know, how you guys got started with the book. What made you guys... I mean, obviously, being at Skywatch, uh, you guys are literally in the same building together every day. I'd imagine that was uh, helpful in writing a book together. I'm surprised you got anything done. <laughs> I'm surprised that you didn't want to start asking me about Gary Busey and and boots <laughs> and parties. They can go back Save to it. the old episode to to listen to that kind of superhero films and whether we've seen them because of cultural appropriation. And stuff. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, being in the same office was a huge, huge help, and and also it worked out really good for me because Derek's just an awesome writer anyway. <laughs> I mean, he's uh, he's he's phenomenal, so really easy guy to work with, and uh, he's brilliant. And that, that's probably enough good about him. I don't want to overinflate his ego anymore. Yeah, than, yeah. Than <laughs> <where> he is. <laughs> but no, it, uh, yeah, being in the same office was a huge help, and um, we got to do a lot of the uh, research together. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a fun process, and I, I think it made it easier to really get you know at the core truths behind this whole official disclosure stuff. You know, it's, so, uh, it's easy when you've got uh, questions or, or discoveries. You know, something that, that you stumbled onto that you can just. Um, you know, bring it bring it in to the next office or or discuss it over lunch. Yeah. Um, of course, that never happens when Joe Horn is here because we, nothing <laughs> happens when Joe is here. It just it turns it just, <laughs> just a lot of laughter, a laugh riot. It, it's it's an but, eight hour long version of the Cherubim Chariots episode. That's that's what work is like when yeah. Joe's here. <laughs> but, oh uh, man, sounds exhausting. We have the office awesome. swept for bugs and listening devices regularly because it would just so destroy <laughs> Skywatch TV. Yeah. We talk about lunch. Yeah, we hope but, we never get wiki leaked. You guys, you guys <laughs> just need a paywall. You need a paywall. Just have a you know. Just let them know what the content entails. You know, just just let yeah, people yeah. pay for that material. You know, capitalize Make it on it. Make a Periscope it. channel. Lunch there at Skywatch. Go. Yeah, there that would you be, go. A, that'd be a hoot. <laughs> um, but, so know, this is something that Tom Horn has been interested in a long time because he's got mm -hmm. some family. Um, members who've been uh, who've been contacted let's put it that way and I want I don't want to you know go too deep into that because that's you know a lot of stuff that Tom has talked about in the past and and you know his, his family stuff but it's obviously a topic that not only he's got some interest in it but when we started looking at the um, you know obviously the, the WikiLeaks uh, releases became an issue in the 2016 presidential campaign so suddenly this is this topic has come uh, top of mind mm -hmm. to the UFO community again because of the uh, uh, that those uh, Disclosures, and you know that was a, a section of the uh, book where Josh did all the heavy lifting and really did a great job of pulling all that together and then analyzing what was being communicated by the late Edgar Mitchell, Doctor Edgar Mitchell, uh, sixth man on the moon, as he signed all his emails. Yeah, um, who is obviously a very intelligent guy. I mean, you don't get to be an astronaut for NASA by being stupid. I mean, right, regardless right. of what you might think about NASA and its nefarious plans. Um, <laughs> The people who work there, the guys who actually are astronauts, who who are who qualify as astronauts, are really, really intelligent people. Doesn't mean they're right about spiritual matters, obviously, because Mitchell not only was um, uh, trying to set up a meeting with President Obama to talk about and the Pope and the Pope yeah. to, to talk about the existence of extraterrestrial intelligences, but he was um, the co-founder of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Mm -hmm. with Paul N. Temple, who, interestingly enough, and we didn't get into this in the book, that would have a whole other chapter, uh, but Paul N. Temple is one of the guys who founded the uh, National Prayer Breakfast, and yet he was also mm -hmm. financing the uh, Institute of Noetic Sciences, which uh, you know, Dr. Future refers to as a group that 
researches uh, scientific ways to become possessed. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Which, That's which gnarly. Is basically what it is. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it was featured in the Dan Brown novel, uh, The Lost Symbol. They're, they're supposedly trying to find a scientific use the scientific method to explore the supernatural realm. And that's, that's where Mitchell was coming from. So, uh, that became a, a big issue. And, um, we just, you know, thanks to Tom's, uh, suggestion and, and the, uh, the, the different, uh, viewpoints that Josh and I brought to the, the, the project, we wanted to do something a little different. So we had that aspect of it, you know, what exactly was going on in uh, the minds of people who felt free to contact guys at the highest level of the American government, John Podesta, mm-hmm. um, while at the same time looking at research that was done from another direction, which directly connects the occult to the modern ancient aliens hypothesis, which is uh, you know, almost taken as gospel by a lot of people in the UFO community today. So, uh, wow. that, and, then, and then when you start looking at the, uh, the, the actual research behind what people in America believe and you come away with the conclusion that uh, there are more people who believe in extraterrestrials or believe that we're being visited by ETs than who believe in God as he as he revealed himself to us through the Bible. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, anyway, yeah. now yeah, I'll, the uh, I'll throw in two just real quick, just uh, uh, to, to to get the listeners on the on the right foot right away. This is not a Nephilim book. <laughs> uh, we. <laughs> <laughs> we went into it. Now, there's been a lot, you know, that's been researched and written on the idea of, you know, the connection between modern day Nephilim and the alien and UFO phenomenon and all that. All, all that's been been really well researched, you know, in our belief. Uh, a lot's already been written. That's not this. <laughs> that's not this at all. Right. We we t- we we do something completely different, and it's totally fresh. And uh, we didn't want to just rehash the same thing. We we really went into this. Um, and it started with the WikiLeaks stuff, but we we wanted to write a book that that was completely unique, not only in the Christian community but in the UFO community too. Uh, so, I mean, just literally, no book has ever been written that that is even close uh, to what we the types of things that we talk about uh, in in this book. So it's not it's not rehashed, warmed over, you know, Nephilim stuff or just UFO conspiracy stuff that's been done a billion times. This is uh, completely new, breaking current event kind of stuff. Yeah, that's great. That sounds very interesting. And, and just because we haven't said it yet, the name of the book, The Day the Earth Stands Still, Unmasking the Old Gods be- Behind ETs, UFOs, and the Official Disclosure Movement. And that's uh, that's uh, one fascinating part. I kind of want to get uh, a little bit of explanation from you guys. We hear the Official Disclosure Movement, and as far as uh, I know, there hasn't been an official disclosure. What does that look like? Yeah, uh, a lot of people, I think, when they hear the term official disclosure, they're looking or, or thinking of a certain event where the government uh, basically releases everything they know or they admit that they know something. And all of a sudden, you know, the world is different because now aliens exist and the government's admitting it and, you know, all that stuff. And that's a possibility. I, I mean, I suppose that that could happen. We explore that in the book. Uh, but I actually think uh, that we're going through a type of disclosure now. And I also think that disclosure isn't going to provide the answers that people uh, from the UFO community and the Christian community think that it's going to. Uh, it seems like the more disclosure that happens, like, like for example, the, the recent, you know, within the past couple of years, the recent uh, Podesta WikiLeaks stuff that uh, a lot, a lot of people focused on the Pizzagate stuff, which that, that's a whole other thing. But uh, what kind of got lost in the shuffle was there was a lot of talk between um, uh, Edgar Mitchell and Terry Mansfield to John Podesta about these ETIs or extraterrestrial intelligences, which are 
not in their view, they're not aliens from another planet like what you know most of the world might think. But these are more akin to um, higher dimensional entities and, and like extra dimensional stuff. You know, they, they, they're they're they claim that they're from a, a contiguous universe, which basically we would think of like a parallel reality or a parallel universe or something. Uh, and Terry Mansfield, who is basically uh, Edgar Mitchell's kind of go-between, uh, he and uh, John Podesta, she claimed to have contact with these beings. Of course, it's all telepathic. There's nothing actually mm-hmm. written or, re- or there's nothing actually <clears throat> recorded or you know anything. It's all telepathic. It's all really subjective stuff. But uh, she... She claimed to have contact with these entities, and actually, uh, Edgar Mitchell founded uh, Quantrek on that idea, which was to try to find um, zero-point energy with the help of these beings. Right. And this was all in these emails. So when that got released, that was another dose of disclosure of, of official disclosure. I don't. And and the, the problem with the problem with the 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 whole official disclosure movement is the more disclosure we get the more questions we have the more complicated it becomes it's, there's no simple answer to any of this so people who think that you know if, if there would just come a day where the government would admit what they know uh, then then at least we would know and then we'd be on the same playing field it, it's not going to work like that because any information that does get released just like the the WikiLeaks stuff or just like anything else it's going to be filtered through somebody who has a world view so we we explored that in the book with John Podesta because um, if there was ever a time where you know spaceships just show up or UFOs or or you know a UFO lands on the White House lawn or if there ever is like a really extreme scenario like that, or even if the government does start to release some stuff or admit some stuff, or if something gets leaked, or you know any number of scenarios, um, the, the the media, who's finally for the first time in human history <laughs> that we know of, the, the the mainstream media is actually starting to take the UFO question and the alien stuff seriously. They're actually, or, or at least maybe since the late forties. Yeah, yeah, at least uh, they're actually starting to take it seriously. And uh, I, I actually I, I started. Uh, uh, I actually saw a report not that long ago on Tucker Carlson tonight, and he he was actually handling the the topic seriously. He had uh, Leslie Keen on, and it was uh, it was a really good report. But but usually the way that it's been in the past is if UFOs are ever covered, it's laughed about. So that 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 tide is starting to shift. Um, but the problem is when so so if any kind of official disclosure thing happened. Uh, so-called experts in the field are going to be called to be on these news programs, and that's how the rest of us are going to get the the information. So it's going to be filtered through their worldview. So people like John Podesta, because he's been at the forefront of the official disclosure movement for years now, uh, he would be called to you know uh, talk about it on the news and stuff like that. And so it's a good idea if we get to know what his worldview on these things is now. Uh, so we're not surprised by it later. Um, and his worldview is is incredibly, it, it, it's really subjective. It's more of a religion. It's not based on any objective fact. I'll give you one example, and then I'll turn it over to Derek, because he, he can he can uh, add to this too, obviously. But um, so in, in the Podesta emails, you know, Ed, Edgar Mitchell had a lot of fantastic things to say. So did Terry Mansfield, uh, with no real proof at all. But Podesta seemed more interested in that than, say, an email that he got from Bob Fish, who was actually telling him, Here, here's how we could actually test these things and try to track them and get some real scientific answers. He was providing actual scientific solutions. And Podesta, not only did he not 
reply to it at all. He sent it to his assistant, Aaron Sepp, and just said, basically, here, you deal with this. You know, he didn't want anything to do with it. And that was in those emails. That was the most objective email that he that he ever received. That was actually based in some kind of scientific analysis. He didn't want any part in that because to a lot of these people, this is a religion. I'll turn it over to Derek because he's got a lot of cool stuff to say about that. <laughs> and that's one of the things that we found when we went down to Roswell. Uh, but again, that's why we started the book with mm-hmm. the uh, the the research information from the National Geographic Channel back in 2012. They conducted a survey of what Americans believe about extraterrestrials. And they found that 36% of Americans believe that we're being visited by ETs. 36%. So this is really not a fringe belief anymore. Mm. I mean, more than 70% of Americans believe there's evidence that we're being visited. 36% are convinced that we're being visited by extraterrestrial intelligences. So for Christians, and you know, like everybody kind of operates in their own little bubble. We, we kind of create a, rali- a reality around ourselves by the people we choose to hang around with and the information we choose to consume. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people in, in our churches, uh, we, we operate inside the walls of a churchianity, you know, and stuff doesn't come in through that bubble uh, unless it um, validates what we want to believe. We're, we're all, you know, we all do that. Confirmation I mean, bias. Confirmation bias. We, yeah. we all do this. But when the, the Barna Group went to America, and the Barna Group has been doing this for a couple of decades now, and they, they kind of revisit this survey every four or five years. Um, wh- what, do American, what do Americans believe and what do American Christians believe? And they found that uh, when you, uh, according to their definition of a biblical worldview, uh, people who agreed with six core points of Christian uh, doctrine, were, were defined as having a biblical worldview. And these are really easy ones. I mean, Christianity 101. Did Jesus live a sinless life? Was Jesus born of a virgin? Did he literally rise from the dead? Can you earn your way into heaven? Is Satan a, an entity or just a concept or force? You know, things like that. Um, how you responded to those questions defined whether you had a biblical worldview or not for the purposes of the Barna Group survey. Only 10% of American adults have a biblical worldview. Okay, wow. uh, that's God as he's defined himself in his word. Now, more than what about almost three quarters of Americans called themselves Christian of one flavor or another. But if only 10 percent of us actually say, yeah, and I agree with everything that God said about himself in the Bible. Yes, it, Mary was a virgin. Yes, he literally rose from the dead. Yes, he lived a sinless life, which is kind of key. <laughs> um, but, the, 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 you know, the, the, the fact is that 60 percent of that 70 <laughs> who claim to be Christian don't really believe all the stuff that uh, defines you as a Christian. They're more cultural Christians. Yeah, I'm not a Hindu, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not Jewish, I guess I'm a Christian. So uh, the scary thing is that only 19% of people who call themselves evangelical Christians or born-again Christians Mm -hmm. have a biblical worldview. Yeah. So we need to have a discussion here in the churches. But the point that we were making by opening the book that way is, look, there are more of them than there are of you and us. Mm -hmm. If you are a biblical, Bible-believing Christian and you really accept what God said about himself in his word, then you're, there, there are fewer people like you in America today than there are people who believe that E.T. is regularly visiting the earth and that the government is somehow covering it up. So we wanted to make that point right up front because there were people who kind of pushed back when we started talking about the projects, like, oh, that's such a waste of time. A fringe top, you should be preaching the gospel. Well, yeah, we should. Mm-hmm. And when we went to Roswell for the uh, UFO festival last year, we saw why. I mean, you know, think about this. If the UFO phenomenon was really about trying to determine whether extraterrestrial civilizations were contacting us, 
and to figure out the science behind how they might do that so we could replicate that feat and go visit them. You would think that at places like Roswell and other places where there are annual festivals, Joshua Tree, California, McMinnville, Oregon, Eureka Springs, Arkansas, mm-hmm. Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, that you would find NASA recruiting. Hey, want to be an astronaut? Hey, yeah. help us, you know, be an astrophysicist, be an aerospace engineer. You know, maybe MIT would be here recruiting for students or Cal Poly or, you know, something like that. But no, you don't see any of that. You don't see what you do see are booths selling healing crystals, and <laughs> tarot card readings. <laughs> and we went up and down Main Street in Roswell during the festival, which, um, Boy, it was like 107 degrees in the shade oh, when we did yeah. it that day. Roasting flies everywhere too. It was like out of a Stephen King novel. Yeah, yeah flies. <laughs> in fact, we did uh, we'll tell a story about the flies in just a second. But the point is, as we were interviewing people and asking them, "Why are you here? What are you looking for?" Um, they were there because they were not they they really that concerned about how the aliens got here. They wanted the aliens to explain to us the big questions, and this is the mm-hmm. the big questions that uh, Gary Bates uh, defines. In the uh, film and in, in his book, Alien Intrusion, where did we come from? Why are we here? And what happens to us when we die? Yeah. And those are answers that are in the Bible. Yeah. But these people, <laughs> but these, and, and that's our point. It's, mm-hmm. it's a religion. It's a religion. Now, was it coincidental that there were flies all over the place, all over Roswell when we were there? <laughs> there were people telling us, well, you know, this is a big dairy cattle operation. It's the dairy capital of the Southwest. Like, look, we live... <laughs> In the Ozarks, which is beef cattle yeah. capital of the United States, and we live right across the back fence. You know, 150 feet from our deck is a cattle operation. I mean, it's a big pasture, so it's not like the you know cattle are right up against the fence all the time. But we're surrounded by cattle. We don't have those kind of flies here in the Ozarks. <laughs> and I can guarantee you that the dairy cows in Roswell aren't in the city of Roswell. Yeah, but we actually did an interview with Joe Jordan uh, about the real spirits behind the uh, alien abduction phenomenon, which we separate from the UFO phenomenon. Right? Mm-hmm. The abduction contactee phenomenon is something separate from you know those mysterious lights in the sky. Right. Um, when we started the interview, <laughs> there were maybe two or three flies in the room. Mm-hmm. The room was closed. Totally sealed. Windows, door, doors, everything yeah. sealed. And by the time we were done, it was like, what, like about three dozen oh, flies man. buzzing around. They were flanding on the microphone, you yep. know, the, the, the laugh mic that we had. It's like the fl- <laughs> we had to stop. Okay, take that back. Start that answer again because the fly buzzing, was, the, the flies were getting rid of the sound for the video. It was incredible. Yeah, we have no idea wow. how or what the deal was. It, it was insane. And I, I should mention too that, yeah, th- those, uh, we did a whole bunch of interviews in Roswell and we had a, a whole bunch of other uh, interviews um, added onto that, that we put into um, a, a compilation called Project Stargate that's actually included with the book. If people go to, uh, easiest place to go is officialdisclosure.com. Yes, mm-hmm. we actually got that domain, <laughs> officialdisclosure.com. And people Score. go there uh, if they're going to get the book anyway, they may as well get hundreds of dollars of free, free materials. Stuff, yeah. yeah. If they get the book there, they get uh, Project Stargate, which is 12 interviews with, um, well, like uh, Derek said, uh, Joe Jordan's in there, Dr. Michael Heiser. We also have uh, L.A. Marzulli, uh, Chris Putnam. Chuck Missler. Uh, Chuck Missler. Yeah. A whole a whole bunch of never before seen interviews, and they're never going to be seen yeah. uh, outside of this collection. Um, but we, we, we have that. We have the, uh, the official disclosure audio, uh, series. We have a couple of books by Mike Heiser. My, my other new book unraveling the multiverse. Uh, what, did, what else is it? <laughs> There's like hundreds yeah, of dollars. It's a, it's a whole bunch of stuff, but uh, yeah, some of those video interviews, the interview with Joyce Aaron's, who oh, was uh, yeah. an abductee uh, who was featured 
on a show called Sightings back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. She revealed stuff in the interview session we had that she had never talked about before in yeah. the interview. Uh, Joe Jordan um, helped her see what was really going on and helped her stop it because mm-hmm. it's a spiritual thing. Um, we also, one of the most jaw-dropping interviews I've ever been a part of was Darryl the interview Sims. with Daryl Sims, yep. <laughs> who bills himself as the alien hunter. Yeah, you know? he's awesome. Big guy, former CIA, you know, uh, private detective, wears these long trench coats, black cowboy hat, mustache. <laughs> he looks like he's bigger than life. He, he is bigger than yeah. life, his, his personality. But Mike Heiser recommended him to us. Yeah, so you know he's wow. he's he's legit, you know. He's I mean, legit. and he is. He he's not like off way in La La Land, and you're just going to hear a bunch of conspiracy stuff and cool right. stories. He actually he actually brings a lot of really important data and facts, and and it, 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 yeah, I think that 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 to me was probably oh yeah the most like you said jaw dropping uh, interview of the whole the whole. He, he he talked about how he used um, hypnotism, and why why am I suddenly not not uh, showing up? There we go. Hello, yeah. <laughs> a little <laughs> little drop off there. You're back. Yeah, a little bit of a drop-off. I'm not sure what's going on with the microphone cable here. I think maybe it's the cable because uh, I had this problem on another one of the pots on this mixer, and it's maybe not the uh, maybe not the mixer. Maybe it's just the cable. I got you loud and clear. Close. Anyway, um, yeah, Daryl uh, told us how he used hypnotism mm-hmm. to implant a message that he wanted delivered to whatever entities were abducting this guy that he was working with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I won't go into it any more than that, but it was jaw-dropping. Yeah. Oh, that's heavy. I know, yeah. I, I want to send a message to these things that uh, this guy believes are taking him onto a spacecraft. And I'm going to implant a message through hypnotism that will only be disclosed when a certain thing happens that he says always happens during his uh, abductions. Mm-hmm. And he said it was, uh, yeah, so anyway. It, yeah, it, we'll just say message received. And, yeah, uh, it, my gosh. It, intense so yeah. people should definitely check that out uh yeah it, it comes with the book project stargate and um wow hang on derek ter- derek pushed a button and i got all echoey come on derek <laughs> yeah i'm not sure what's happening here <laughs> he's trying to ruin our book sales fellas saboteur <laughs> yeah <That's it>. so <laughs> I, I, I got a question for you guys here yeah. Yes. So you were, uh, you know, regarding the official disclosures, you're kind of mentioning some, I don't know what you call them, maybe secondhand or uh, sort of uh, uh, disclosures that were intercepted um, being, you know, working into that official disclosure, maybe some sort of soft disclosure or something like that. You know, a lot of people are talking about and hoping for and dates keep getting set and Facebook posts keep getting posted about, you know, an actual official disclosure. Do you think that that's something that might actually happen? Um, My opinion is uh, no, I don't think it's actually going to happen. And uh, here's why. I think the... uh the conclusion we reach in the book, of course, is that uh, some, something is going on. Okay, we, we agree that something is going on. Earth has been visited by inhuman, non-human entities for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. They're just not what the people in the UFO community think they are. Um, and we believe that the, 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 the use, the, the benefit to those entities of this um, carrot that's being dangled out in front of the ufo community official disclosure is coming at the end of this presidential term because we saw that at the end of clinton's time in office we saw it at the end of george w bush barack obama especially because when the uh, wikileaks emails were you know put out there and people in the ufo community know that podesta has had an interest in the ufo phenomenon for a long time so uh well maybe this will be the time that 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 stuff will be released maybe now it'll be it's it's good they're gonna do it they're gonna have to do it because we we just see the, the thing is 
the information that's dribbled out over the last 70 years of the UFO phenomenon has changed. It has been contradictory, in some cases, just mutually exclusive information. Now, wait a minute. If they are, said they're from Venus, then how come these guys are saying they're from Sirius? Now, if these guys are from Ashtar Command, why are they calling themselves the Galactic Brotherhood? You know, who are these people? And why are all of their messages, as Josh said, telepathic? Yeah. Why, you know, if they've crossed the universe to get here, why can't they work a webcam? <laughs> why is all of this information coming via telepathic contact with sensitives, with contactees? The information is non-verifiable. It is impossible to corroborate. Mm -hmm. mm. And we think the official disclosure movement serves more purpose as a deception for these entities if they keep doing that. They keep dangling the carrot out there. And it, it, because it, it's like when you, when you, when you go to a, a movies, okay, and you see a, a monster film and they reveal the monster too soon. Ruins it. It ruins it. It's yep. be, before they've built up the, the right amount of tension and, and, uh, and anticipation and dread and fear. And, you know, uh, Hitchcock was a master at that. I mean, yeah. he didn't do monster films, but he was a master at building tension by not revealing too much too soon. Mm -hmm. um, one of the great things about the original Alien film is that they didn't show you the monster in the first part of the movie. Yep. I mean, that's how you can tell when it's a really schlocky film. They show you the monster too soon. And then it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You can see the strings. Yeah. <laughs> the, the zipper in the back of the suit. You can, oh. But if you build the tension, it, it, the, the, keeping that suspense going, you know, stringing people along, just giving little glimpses, little hints, you right. know, and without really showing it. That was one of the cool things about the uh, J.J. J. J. Abrams film, Cloverfield. Yes. Yeah. They didn't really ever show you the whole monster and they didn't show it for very long when they finally did. Yeah. It, it was much more terrifying in that way. So I think in the same way, this official disclosure movement serves that same purpose. Just keep dangling people on. Don't reveal too much because if you reveal too much information mm -hmm. that can be analyzed and then people start saying, hey, wait a minute now. You told these people this and you're telling these other people that and this is mutually contradictory. So, okay, this is bogus. Yeah. Yeah. This is just, a, it's a crummy commercial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, they also know that if they ever did, if they're even able to, but if they ever did just come out in the open and, you know, I mean, there's certain interpretations of prophecy that, you know, maybe someday when there's no other choice that, that something like that could happen. But, but they, you know, they know that if they ever do that, there is no going back. There's no shroud right. of secrecy anymore. Right. Uh, and their stories will have to, you know, be held under scrutiny because, yeah, at least right now, because there's such a lack of information and because there is so much disinformation as well mixed in there, uh, the true believers, especially, but even just a lot of, uh, people that, that, you know, might believe in aliens, but don't think about it too much. They're, they're willing to suspend a lot of disbelief, uh, in order to, to reach their conclusions. And, that will go out the window if they, like Derek said, if they release too much information too right. fast or, or if they just showed up. And, and this is such, such a, uh, I mean, this is so different from, from the evidence that we have as Christians. And mm -hmm. I, I think this is laughable that people in the UFO community will laugh at Christians. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did an interview with uh, Rob McConnell on the X Zone a few weeks ago, and I've never bothered to promote it, post it because we didn't even talk about the book. <laughs> as soon as, like in the first five minutes, I said, well, you know, full disclosure, Josh and I approached the topic from a Bible-believing Christian perspective, mm -hmm. and da, da, and suddenly the, the the rest of the fifty-minute program was about uh, apologetics. <laughs> like, all right, well, fine. At least, uh, thankfully, I'm I'm you know the Lord led me down that path years ago, and I was able to remember enough stuff to at least hold my own. But you know, it wasn't about the book. 
um, people in the UFO community will will look at Christians like, oh, well, you guys must be idiots because you're, you're just, not everyone, not everyone, but uh, you know, in general, uh, and that's why they're looking to extraterrestrials for answers to the questions that we Christians are saying. Yeah, look, it's it's here in the Bible. You know, where do we come from? Why are we here? What happens when we die? It's all here. It's in this book. We've mm-hmm. got it. They they don't want to hear that. I think for a couple of reasons, and I'll let you address the uh, you know the personal responsibility aspect. But the point is that the key, th- there's a key difference, a fundamental difference in the level of corroboration between the evidence that true believers in UFOs will point to, and the evidence that we have as Christians. God is not asking for us to believe blindly. Mm-hmm. Look at First Corinthians 15, which, in my opinion, is one of the most remarkable chapters in the entire Bible. Not only does Paul encapsulate summarize the gospel of salvation in the first few verses very succinctly jesus died according to the scriptures for our sins rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and oh okay that's pretty much it you know that's that's a very brief summary of the gospel of salvation and then he goes on to explain the apologetics the evidence how do we know this is true well let's see the risen jesus appeared first to peter and then to james and then to the twelve and then the 500 brothers at once, mm-hmm. some of whom have fallen asleep, but most are still alive. Mm-hmm. Multiple witnesses. And then, it's, it's, in a sense, what Paul was writing to the church at Corinth was, if you don't believe me, go to Jerusalem and ask around. Yeah. Because there were many, many witnesses who saw Jesus of Nazareth who died and came back. And that's the key thing is that they all have the same story. It's not like, you know, sure, we have millions of people over, you know, all, all across the, the world that have seen UFOs or been abducted or talked to aliens. But all the messages are to- they're all different. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they, they all say different things to different people. They can't get their story straight. You know, it's not like the, the gospel with the, you know, all the apostles and the 500 who, who, who said that if, if anybody preaches any other gospel. Uh, then they should be accursed. It actually says that twice. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, when these when these supposedly su- uh, superior, you know, beings or whatever can't even get their own story straight, then how can they be believed? And and like Derek was saying before, that goes back to the personal responsibility thing. And that that's why that's why these things, uh, unless they're forced to uh, by some kind of you know prophetic thing or, or or you know whatever, but unless they're forced to, they're not gonna they're not gonna tell anybody anything because they don't have to. People already believe in them. People right. already mm. that there's you know aliens and that the, I mean they've people have created entire civilizations to 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 make you know some kind of explanation for these things. Right. So they don't they don't have to prove anything because people through their own cognitive dissonance and you know confirmation bias and all that stuff they'll just believe it anyway. Right. Now that's, yeah, and as Seth Shostak, who's the head of the, uh, SETI, which is the Search yeah. for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. As uh, Seth Shostak says, Hollywood is doing a great job of preparing mm-hmm. humanity to accept the existence of an extraterrestrial intelligence. Exactly. Well, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. You know, that's a really good point to, to kind of bridge this conversation because, Derek, I know on Skywatch you, you do all the, you know, the Sci Fridays and you keep track with all the transhumanism and all the movements there. And just this week, Basil and I talked about a couple stories that have to do with uh, one of them is. Um, uh, Marco Karjnovic, uh, who uh, at the Museum of the Future as part of the World Government Summit in Dubai, uh, announced that he uh, believes human speech will be replaced by thought communication by the year 2050. 
and ah. then yeah and then in in uh, conjunction with that we reported on the uh, <laughs> the 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 wild theories um or the wild claims of a man who claimed he's from 2030 the year 2030 the time traveler and one mm-hmm. of the things he uh yeah one of the things he predicted was that humans can talk to aliens by 2030 now given that we're kind of diving into this virtual reality space and um you know it, it would be very easy for even just you know even just dark government people uh to pose as aliens in the virtual space and you know create a sort of uh culture there that uh, you know what i'm saying like we can't speak physically because we're far apart but maybe we can create this virtual network to communicate do you see yeah, the no, possible room for anybody to believe in people would just believe in it uh, without any kind of real well, that's what i'm saying yeah it would be even more of a of a tangible thing for the people who need that confirmation bias to you know yeah. oh there they are they're there they can uh, you know appear to us virtually in this whatever virtual space that we're you know building right now but derek what do you think i mean because you've been tracking the technology stuff pretty specifically do you see anything in connection with this as the technologies come out there to really you know change the way we view the world around us well we saw something that we talked about sharon and i've been talking about this on pid radio as well for a while um and interestingly, this is really not even a new idea to, to us or Tom Horn. Um, when you, you go back 100 years, 1911, I think it was, uh, E.W. Bullinger, the um, uh, theologian, who had some issues with his theology. I you know, mm-hmm. d- don't agree with him on, uh, on some things. Uh, and he was a flat earther, so there's that. <laughs> but <laughs> I hope we haven't just triggered some of your audience. Oh, I'm sure we have, but that's what this, <laughs> this program's all about. Um, <laughs> But Bullinger did a commentary in the book of Revelation in which he said, uh, he, he cited a couple of articles about uh, Nikola Tesla and Tesla who had said that he was working on an artificial brain and that he felt certain that he would be able to create an artificial thinking machine. And Bullinger in 1911 saw that and said, ah, okay, that's how they'll give life to the image of the beast. Mm-hmm. So in our view, all of this is a... Uh, well, you know, the term used to be psychological operation. In fact, uh, I, I used the term in my previous book, even though it's already been deprecated by the military. It's military inter- information support operation now. <laughs> Hello, this is military information support. How may I deceive you? Uh, <laughs> the word PSYOP is a victim it, of a PSYOP. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, it's, it's now a MISO. Um, this is what the enemy has been running on us. And they've been doing this throughout history because our generation or the last two generations since, since 1947 and the start uh, the start of the modern ufo uh, uh, flap or, or era mm-hmm. is not new i mean there, there was so uh, what the 1890s uh, airship uh yeah, contra- airship mysteries yep. so aurora texas and yes, uh, yes. yeah the, yeah the um, crash but of course they didn't see you know saucers right they didn't see flying triangles they saw dirigibles basically airships right, yeah uh, when you go back to uh, Alexander the Great in the 4th century BC, he saw flying shields. They, it they, follows the culture. It follows the culture, right. Yeah. 500 years ago, when people were being attacked in the night by things that were assaulting them, they knew, okay, well, that's a succubus or an incubus. Mm-hmm. Today, it's extraterrestrials. They're alien greys. Yep. So this is all a psychological operation, military information support, um, <laughs> by the enemy to confuse us and, and get us thinking, okay, we're, we're dealing with... Uh, we're dealing with entities from outside our reality. Um, our culture, Western civilization, is so firmly sold out to this idea that um, science is the only tool that can determine 
absolute truth that that is we're, we're more willing to believe in that than we are to believe in, in the Bible. And, and the enemy is just using that to their own benefit. And so as we become more integrated, or rather technology is more integrated into our daily lives, whether through implants or uh, you know, wh- whatever, uh, connecting us directly to the, uh, to the internet, virtual reality, augmented reality, I think the enemy is just going to use that even more. Um, as we pointed out on Sci-Friday, the human brain is a... Um, it's an electro, what's the word I want to use here? It's a bioelectrical device. Mm-hmm. Our thoughts are transmitted by electrical currents in the brain, mm-hmm. which is you know, an incredible thing when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, but as Christians, we know that that bioelectrical device can be overwhelmed and overpowered by an external entity mm-hmm. we call demonic possession. So... If an if a computer is just a an a mechanical electrical electromechanical device, which is you know very crude definition, but it's accurate. Why couldn't an external entity likewise Influence. take over? And I've yeah. had some computers that I'm pretty sure were <laughs> demonically possessed. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So, <laughs> but as they increase in power, and especially as we begin to develop a truly um, autonomous artificial intelligence i think bullinger's view from over 100 years ago his vision of the uh, creation of the image of the beast through the creation of an artificial brain may come to pass yeah yeah it's incredible and uh 1909 the machine stops written by em forster also uh sort of predicted a internet uh, a technology that everybody was uh tied to and, and needed it gave him all the necessary things uh, for daily life and all this stuff. So, and, and then when it stops, people didn't know what to do. And, you know, you can check out the story, but, um, <laughs> well, it's kind of like us today when so, oh, the network's down. Oh, I yeah. can't get on this book. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, um, so, you know, you, you brought up so many things earlier on in the, in the, uh, conversation about the church and the, and this label evangelical Christianity, which is, it's been so heated politically and I don't want to go there because it's, it's so messy, but in terms of from this small group, this 10% that supposedly is holding on to the truth here about what the gospel represents and what it says, what is, how do we reach, you know, uh, how do we reach the people other than, you know, you, you guys are doing books, you know, we're doing the podcast, but how do we really break the, the, the ice? Is this another way to the UFO topic? Do you want it to be more of a, a conversation up front? I mean, it's, it's kind of a popular thing, but how do you see, I don't know, what, what kind of tools do you think? What kind of conversations can people have? Because I think my, my personal opinion on, on this and, and sort of reading just the description of your book, the Bible really puts and frames who these entities are, what they're doing and why in a very concise and understandable and clear way. And, and yeah. once you grasp that, you, you, you don't really get phased by anything. Like you hear all this stuff and you're like, yeah, but it's, it, do, it doesn't really, it, it, it kind of bounces off, you know, the, the gospel and the truth that's, that's there. So I feel like if people can see it from that perspective uh, through these topics, then they'll, they'll start to understand like, oh, okay, there's, there's something else going on here. And it's not just, you know, it's not just a race issue or whatever issue is brought right. up. Um, yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah, a lot, a lot of, you know, I think a lot of it is, unfortunately, many Christians are kind of 
more timid. They're not, I, I don't, I don't think, um, I, I don't think most Christians are nearly aggressive enough. And, uh, I think part of it is because a lot of them kind of know that if push comes to shove, they're going to have a hard time defending their faith. And, and, right. you know, so, some of that is a, well, most of it's a personal re- responsibility, especially in our day and age now where you can research anything. Yeah. Um, you can have yeah. the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts and have them translated for you from the original text of, you know, uh, of the Bible and everything. So, I mean, in, in that, in that sense, there's really no excuse, but a lot of it falls on the churches and the pastors themselves too. Uh, we just don't know good theology anymore. And yeah. that's why we have all these crazy traditions that, that define how, how we even interact with one another. I mean, I, I was raised in a, you know, really strict Baptist, uh, household and it took me a long time to even be comfortable with even just reading the book of Enoch, not not necessarily as an inspired work or anything, but just reading it as a as as a historical text that you know existed in the first uh, century uh, Israel, it, it took me a long time because I, I really just based through tradition tra- uh, traditions and nothing biblical. Uh, I thought I was doing something wrong, or I thought that God would be upset with me or something if I looked at, at, at any other book that wasn't included in the canon. It's that that kind of stuff, and that that's only part of the problem because not not every Christian is that traditional. Sometimes you have like opposite problems where they're way too you know charismatic or whatever. But um, it's all that weird tradition stuff without any kind of solid uh, uh, grounding in just good biblical theology. You know, um, our we as the church have have lost. Uh, our sense of what just good theology is. Somebody like Dr. Michael Heiser should not be controversial. Like he he really shouldn't <laughs> be because that's all he does is just good biblical theology. That's really easy to cite. It's really easy to prove. Uh, and there, it, it, but for some reason, I mean, he's seen as like this big controversial figure, but then you talk to him for five minutes. He's like the most normal, just nice guy in the world. And, uh, but because of, because of the Christian culture that his, his stuff is really, controversial it shouldn't be that's part of the problem so because of that there's a lot of christians that don't want to talk about aliens they don't want to talk about ghosts or demons to to even for most christians to even say you know ghosts are real like a ghost could be a real thing they're not they're probably not all demons that that even alone for some christians is too much they can't handle it they'd say well you you don't really know your bible which is like completely (laughs) back because the bible talks about ghosts and stuff mm-hmm. but uh, but most christians don't know that because they're not taught it in church they're they're not they're not taught you know especially from the old testament they're not taught good old testament theology either and uh, so that's why these conversations are so difficult because we don't have a common ground you know of course if we're a christian we all have our common uh, you know root in jesus I mean, we at least have that but we don't have like a common understanding of what the Old Testament about is about, what the Torah is about. I mean, we can't even agree if we're supposed to follow the, the Torah anymore. We can't agree on that. We can't agree on um, uh, even even New Testament stuff. It, it's it, and it's not even about the agreement. It's we don't know how to disagree. I think that's part of the problem too. And we're afraid to get into these conversations because we're afraid that we're going to hurt somebody's feelings, or we're going to start an argument, or we won't know how to defend our own position because we don't know it well enough, and we don't know how to disagree. Uh, that that's that to me. That's one of the. I think that's one of the greatest skills that God kind of uh, taught me over the past few you know years is just how to disagree with somebody and 
have it be okay. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be an argument. It doesn't have to be a personal attack. You can just disagree on stuff. But that's actually how you get to the root of a, uh, you know, the, the root of any truth. You 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 find somebody that disagrees with you, and then you talk it out, and mm -hmm. you find out which you know position makes more sense logically and 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 based in some kind of objective truth. Uh, and even if you both come away with it still disagreeing, at least at least a productive conversation uh, has has been has taken place. So I think all all that Christians have issues with all that. I think that's why that you know this this shouldn't be, but it is a controversial uh, topic. And there's a lot of things in our book and me and Derek's book that a lot of Christians aren't going to like because it's it's we didn't we didn't want to coddle. Okay, we're we're. We're sick of coddling Christians, you know, like Dr. Michael Heiser says, he says, you know, I'm sick of protecting people from their Bibles and I'm right. not going to do it. Uh, we, we take that same approach. So there, there's some extremely controversial stuff in, in our book, but it's all, we, we cite all our sources. It, it, we, we take you along uh, a line of logical thinking and what led us to our conclusions. And we also even offer other conclusions that other people believe and why they believe them. So people can kind of make up their own minds, but we do have one clear line of direction for the reader to go through. Some Christians are going to be uncomfortable with it, but I think if you, you know, if you go into it with an open mind and not, you know, in the mind of tradition and, and what you've been taught in church all your life, but just what the Bible actually says and what, you know, what, what could be accepted and what shouldn't be, then uh, I think that that's why this book, in my opinion, and of course I'm a little biased, but this book is truly really groundbreaking and nothing like it has ever been written before. It should deepen your faith rather than, you know, yeah. Uh, confuse it. And if, especially right. if they're going through and following every step of the way, you guys line of logic, it should make sense. And then I, ha I haven't read the book, but I, I'm, I'm confident in you guys that you guys didn't go <laughs> off into too many rabbit trails and, uh, and, and whatnot. But it sounds well, to me about that. <laughs> it, it sounds to me like it's, it, it's a culture problem. It, it's, yes. it's more of a, an atmosphere that's been created through many, there's many different layers to this. I mean, the, the corporate angle to it, the, the you know, uh, the 501c3 angle to it, just trying to change Christianity into something that, um, you know, just trying to get numbers into building into a building, things like that. So yeah, it's been tainted. And, and when the, the central point of it is uh, put aside for all these other uh, sort of worldly propositions, uh, that's, I think what, what happens in return is uh, we lose sight of what is really important, what's really true and the methods to you know, even how to make sense of all that. Uh, so specifically there's one area that you guys mentioned um which i think is very interesting because it ties into how culture is being conditioned and you mentioned that earlier derek uh quoting the i forgot who you quoted um about how so the movies yes the the identity of the nine uh, uh i talked you about beat it me to it oh you did <laughs> okay awesome <laughs> we're thinking the same thing uh, we're telepathically communicating basil uh, we've talked I'm about an, the I'm nine. an alien. Yeah. Now, now, guys, you're going to get people upset. <laughs> you figured it out. I'm an alien. Cat, cat alien? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Oh, do you talk about cats and the extraterrestrial connection? Oh, gosh. Only no. cat aliens. We call them aliens. <laughs> they're they're, they're they separate. It and it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, before this falls off the rails, the nine, the nine lives, cats, aliens. That's it. I did it. It was teetering for a while, and now it's officially <laughs> off the rails. <laughs> Derek, 
doctor, though, he can bring us back. Well, okay. So, yeah, since Gans has completely lost control of the situation, <laughs> uh, you mentioned here the identity is the identities of the nine and other ET gods. Now, I think we've uh, briefly hit these topics in past uh, it, it talks with you guys, but uh, what, what are you talking about here? Well, and credit where it's due, Peter Lavenda, who wrote the uh, Sinister Forces trilogy. One of the books in that uh, trilogy is called The Nine, because this is such a bizarre thing, because The Nine reaches into the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. It, uh, you know, there are links between The Nine and, and Star Trek. Uh, some of the wealthiest and oldest money families in America are connected to The Nine. And it comes out of U.S. government research into the paranormal uh, that followed World War II. There was a fellow named um, Andrea Poharich, Dr. Andrea Poharich, who was trained as a psychologist who was interested in parapsychology. And the U.S. government has been researching ways to weaponize the occult for about 70 years or so. Uh, gee, coincidentally, that's about the time the modern UFO uh, <laughs> era began. Right. Yeah. So Poharich, in early, and I, it was New Year's Eve of 51 or 52, I forget the year now, I don't have the book in front of me, uh, but again, Lavenda documents this far better. I just tried to summarize it in the section that I included on the nine in the uh, the book because you can't really grasp the the high strangeness of the modern UFO phenomenon without under without at least mentioning the nine. Um, he gathered a group of people together at a home in Maine, close to a research facility that he'd set up to try to look for people with uh, telekinetic or psychokinetic abilities and. Uh, telepathic ability, stuff like that. And with a, uh, a medium, a channeler um, from India who was known to history only as Dr. Vinod. We don't even know who this guy is. He went back to India after a couple of years of working with Maharaj and kind of dropped out of sight. So, you know, nobody's been able to find him, contact him, figure out you know, what was this guy, who, who was he, what was he doing? Anyway, uh, as they were conducting this seance, they, they began to hear from a group uh, that identified itself as the Nine, and um, through repeated sessions over decades, like the the uh, the, the, the number the the participants changed from uh, session to session. But in some of these early sessions, you had members of the uh, the, the Forbes family, the Payne family, the uh, the Astor family, the Dupont family. So again, very very wealthy, very old money families. Uh, the inventor of the Bell helicopter, Arthur Young, was uh, was part of this uh, original group. Um, and through Young and his wife, there was a connection to Lee Harvey Oswald, which is how that reaches reaches into the uh, Kennedy assassination. Um, and it just very very bizarre. But over the years, as they contacted this group, this uh, the, the nine revealed that they were in orbit around the uh, the Earth. They were extraterrestrials from um, outside our solar system, uh, in high orbit. And finally, they, they began to, uh, the, the spokesman for the group identified himself by the name Tom. Eventually, Tom revealed that his true name was Atum, who was the creator god of the Egyptian uh, pantheon that was worshipped at Heliopolis uh, called the Aeneid. They were the nine principal gods of that particular Egyptian pantheon. Well, that's interesting. Extraterrestrials, ancient Egyptian gods. How curious. One of the participants in this group uh, over time uh, was uh, as Dr. Vinod left. And interestingly, this is, this is a bizarre thing. Um, the, uh, the guy who channeled the initial session had a, a little statuette of the, um, 
the Indian or the Hindu monkey god. Was it Haruman? I think that's I think that's the name. Uh, there with him at the session. Um, scholars believe that Haruman is an aspect of the Greek god of silence called Harpocrates. Harpocrates was the Greek form of the Egyptian god, an aspect of Horus called Harpurkrat. That's the entity that Aleister Crowley was channeling in 1907 when he began receiving the Book of the Law. That lamb, this, uh, or no, what was it? Uh, Iwas was the spokesman for Harpur Krat. And that's who Crowley began hearing messages from in Cairo in 1907 that led to his religion called Telema. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's weird that you've got that strange connection. Uh, oh, Hanuman, not Haruman. Haruman was, you know, Lord of the Rings. Right? <laughs> I oh, no that's, idea. oh, that's Saruman. Never Saruman. mind. Saruman. Hanuman, the monkey god. Uh, but an aspect of this uh, this Greek god connected to the Egyptian god who was apparently the god that uh, or fallen angel if you're if you prefer that Aleister Crowley was hearing from when he was uh, given the book of the law for Telema um, the Hanuman is also the little uh, statue the little monkey god statuette that Barack Obama used to carry around in his pocket all the time and <laughs> nice. may still for I know it was uh, his security Hanuman yeah <laughs> I'm not making this up. This is not internet conspiracy theory. You can find mainstream media reports on it. Isn't this great? The Indians think he's wonderful because he's carrying around one of their gods in his pocket. So, um, but again, different aspects, different cultures. Okay. Aspect of the Greek God is the Egyptian God. And that's who Crowley's hearing from. Okay. That's cool. Um, anyway, another, um, participant in these, uh, these sessions with the nine, the nine principal gods of Egypt who were speaking to this group was the, uh, uh, the Israeli parapsychologist Uri Geller, the guy who would allegedly bend spoons with his mind, mm-hmm. and through Geller, we're playing like the seven degrees of uh, you know <laughs> UFO weirdness. Yeah. Um, through Geller, whose abilities were researched by uh, Puharich, but uh, then also at Stanford Research Institute by um, oh gosh, now I'm forgetting. He was also uh, connected to the research into uh, remote viewing. Uh, Dr. Hal Putoff, mm-hmm. and Dr. Putoff is on the board of directors of to the stars Academy of arts and sciences, Tom DeLong's new group that's yep. there promoting. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but another, uh, participant in these sessions, these channeling sessions to talk to the nine was uh, Gene Rottenberry, the creator of star Trek. Right. And of course, one of his spinoff series was star Trek, deep space nine. He wrote a movie treatment based on the, the nine and their communications with humanity. And of course that didn't go anywhere, but deep space nine, if you remember the plot had a very, strong religious uh, thread that ran through the entire series. Commander Sisko, who was in charge of Deep Space Nine, was um, revered as uh, a prophet by the uh, the people of the planet, the Bajorans who were on the planet close to the, uh, the space station. So, um, yeah, it, there's some really strange things that came out of that, uh, the, the, the Nine. And again, the connections, which are, are too complicated and convoluted to go into without notes right in front of me. Uh, and again, for people who really want to dig deep, um, Peter Lavenda's book, uh, Sinister Forces, The Nine, which is one of a trilogy, you really ought to get all three books and have those in your reference library, uh, goes into it much deeper than this. But the fact that you've got the connections between the, the UFO phenomenon, the Kennedy assassination, um, and modern science fiction, you know, iconic science fiction like Star Trek is just too weird to be believed. It's, you know, what are the odds? Right. Uh, 
And then when you look backward, because uh, I hadn't caught this, I don't think this is in um, Lavenda's original book, the uh, the uh, about the nine, but the the presence of this monkey god, who was uh, an aspect of the Egyptian god that Aleister Crowley was hearing from, is also really bizarre. And as Josh and I like to point out, you know, even, a lot of people would just say, "Well, it's just coincidence." <laughs> we are not coincidence theorists. <laughs> Happy to talk about conspiracies all day long, but we are not coincidence theorists. Now, have you uh, have you actually uh, gotten into the Christian enneagram at all? Christian enneagram? No. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's it's What's a that? it's a thing. It's it's not it, it's not directly related, but it is it made by the same company that makes angel boards? Perhaps I don't know. It's it's Just, a it's a <laughs> talk to angels. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your destiny. It's uh, it's it's basically this thing where they use the nine human personality types and they uh, orient oh. it in some sort of chart on a pentagram, and it 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 helps with spiritual growth. Ah, uh, that sounds really dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> sounds really not Christian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I, I've the reason why I bring it up is that the the church I used to work at, we had these big workshops and things like that. Um, I got to tech one of the workshops and. Uh, a couple people that were pushing this idea it was the session that I was in for, you know, as, as the tech. And then um, later I saw videos of them and they're selling books and, you know, they have a little niche in the Christian realm and it's kind of interesting, but uh, I've heard more Christians on Twitter also bring this up. Like, like, Oh, we talk about the Enneagram and have you used the Enneagram and the personality test and the blah, blah, blah. Wait, like, when you say personality, is that the, the Carl Jung's uh, like INF, B, T, whatever. You know, it's that, kind, that, it's, kind of yeah, it's a mixed bag, though, because when you ask uh, some of the folks uh, who are in charge, and what I heard that day in the in the uh, the session that I was uh, that just happened to be in, basically, it's it it they don't know where it originates is what they claim. They say it comes from uh, spiritual. The rumor is it comes from spiritual practices from ancient Egypt, which would align oh. with the whole yeah concept of the nine that we're talking yeah, about here. Yeah. So. Huh. Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting. I mean, it might it's be something that probably to, fine. <laughs> <laughs> We're not Maybe. sure. We don't find it any you know anywhere in the Bible, but it's probably fine. It says Christian in the title. It's not just a Negro. Christian Negram guys, come on. Of course, it's fine. <laughs> so judgmental. <laughs> yeah, you're so unenlightened. <laughs> I'm so Sorry. glad we have you here on the show to set us straight about some of our crazy conspiracy <laughs> theories. That's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Now, I got to I, I gotta say, I'm reading in uh, again on the uh, description of the book here. You mentioned, I'll just say you, you, you briefly breeze past the concept of date setting a couple times in this paragraph. Uh, is that something you guys are into now or what? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and when we get it wrong, it's, you know, it's, it's just another benefit anyway, because we get to date set again. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> then you just that's the reason we brought uh, Wes and Justin fall into uh, Skywatch TV. I mean, they're single guys and we can set dates for them all the time. You know, just, you know, just, <laughs> just, just, just to it? quote, the, just to get it out there, the quote, get it? the quote in the, uh, 900. yeah, the quote in the copy is <laughs> to Josh. pinpoint the exact date of official disclosure. Boom. I'm taking that out of context. I don't know if you guys... Answer the hard questions. <laughs> I took out the part where it says, is it possible <laughs> to make it sound like you guys are actually saying that you pinpointed an exact date? No. See, this no, is how people... No. This is how fake but, news is created, guys. I just... 
demonstrated but for I, you in the last chapter of the book uh we, we explored this trend that actually we we didn't come up with the, the, the first that i heard about it was uh jeffrey martis in his amazing book what dwells beyond people oh, yeah, yeah. people need to check that book out uh but uh in in that book he talked about how uh in you know more more ancient times and, and even recently that for some reason, there's this weird connection between major events in Israel's history and the idea of cosmic plurality, which is just the idea that life could exist somewhere else in the universe. Uh, one of the most recent ones was obviously Roswell, uh, because it, within that same, you know, around a year or so, you have Israel becoming a nation yeah, again. Less, less than a year. It was uh, yeah. May of 48, and of course, Roswell was July of 47. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. You know, I mean, and it's never like on the exact same day within the exact same hour. You know, it's never that precise or anything. But uh, I haven't I all, all the connections that because uh, because I, I took that idea and, and fleshed it out more because I was curious to see if there's any if there was any other uh, UFO type related incidents that uh, correlated with uh, more recent uh, events in Israel's history. And there's there's quite a bit. <laughs> there's there's a lot of them. And I listed them all out in the book. But um what what was interesting about that is they're 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 set up in this almost almost like their anniversary dates. I mean, you have okay, so like 120 years ago, you have the first Zionist Congress that you know was the 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 first kind of official step towards making Israel a nation again. But that's also when you get the Aurora UFO, uh, you know, the Aurora Texas UFO crash, where supposedly this 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 alien ship crashed and they took the alien body and buried it in a cemetery but it's unmarked so nobody knows where it is in aurora texas you know the whole story people can look that up right uh, but there, there's a whole bunch of these and that was 120 years ago then you have the 70th anniversary which was uh uh you know roswell and then israel becoming a nation again but i but there there were things on the 50th on the on the 40th anniversary uh you know all all, all these weird anniversaries from our time now, I, I, you know, end of 2017, beginning of 2018. And I thought that that was really strange. So I wrote about it. And, uh, and so I, and that, that that's kind of where that paragraph came from is, is you know, cause I make sure to write in the book, like, look, I'm not date setting. Most likely it, nothing's going to happen most likely because that's the safe bet, <laughs> you know? Uh, but in thinking of, you know, something with, um, you know, like a, an official disclosure event or so, some type of the government releasing something. You know, I, I speculated a couple possibilities. Keep in mind this this was released uh, late 2017, but um, I and we wrote this actually in the summer of 2017. So that that was when that was written. That was that part was written in like May or June, I think, of 2017. But um, but I said it wouldn't surprise me if if these trends are correct, and you know if, if they are. It wouldn't surprise me if something uh, were to happen that uh, puts, you know, fresh in the mind of the culture, the idea of cosmic plurality. Now, that could be a UFO sighting. It could be the government releasing something. It could be some some kind of thing. But it would be something where, you know, it would be, uh, like, well-known to, to, to everybody. But also some type of major event in, in Israel's history, something that would be looked at you know, in years to come as a significant point. And so I, I guessed, <laughs> essentially, that uh, probably, you know, if it was going to happen, end of 2017, beginning of 2018, something like that. Well, what was it, Derek, like 
two days, a day after the book was actually uh, a little, released? A little bit, a little bit. It was about two weeks. Two uh, weeks, yeah, yeah. December 16th was when the New York Times published that article about the uh, USS Nimitz incident mm -hmm. from 2004. Oh, it was within a day of Trump announcing that uh, Jerusalem yes. was going to be, yeah, right. and that that whole thing blew up. That that you know that they were going to move the embassy to Jerusalem, and that Jerusalem was the the capital of of Israel. And and it wasn't that he said it because you know a lot of presidents have said it, but it's it was it was just the major impact on the culture <laughs> that, that had <laughs> so it that blew he actually, up. <laughs> said he actually he actually meant it. Right. Yeah, yeah, it totally. So people, when they look back. You know, in years to come, that that's going to be a significant point in Israel's history when when Trump announced that, and then everybody lost their minds over it. And which it should, again, it shouldn't even be a controversial statement, but it, you know, just the culture we live in, it was. But uh, at, within a, a day or two, uh, was that that whole Pentagon thing that that uh, Derek knows more about that that part of it than I do. But uh, uh, so yeah, that that happened right at the end of. Uh, 2017. And, you know, I don't call it a prediction and it's not date setting because people can buy the book and they can see where I said in the book, most likely nothing will happen. <laughs> that is the safe bet. Right. But if these trends are, you know, anything, if they are, then maybe we'll see something similar, you know, around this time, end of 2017, beginning of 2018. And so that, that was kind of a, that was kind of a surprise uh, after the book came out and then that, that all happened. So, uh, yeah. You missed it by that much. I missed nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was weird. Yeah, that is weird. Um, now, okay, so here I am again, just going back. Here's a question for you guys. Um, when you guys are writing the book, do you ever get in little fights? Oh, yeah. Disagree. The whole thing is one big fight. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a transcript of a months long argument. Yeah, it's like it's like passive aggressive, like little stares at each other, and like or like Derek will ask me something, and I'll pretend that I don't hear him. Yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> Even though I'm in the same room, you know, no, I feel, no, nothing. Not, I feel like well, Derek does that to me too. Well, well, I kind of had it coming. I mean, you, you both know your history. We probably don't need to get into it in this episode, but you know what you did. Everybody, everybody at Skywatch knows what you did. <laughs> no, actually, um, I, you know, think th I'm trying to think if there was anything that we actually did disagree on. I can't really think of anything, but but I know if there ever was. Uh, Derek and I know how to disagree with one another. Like yeah, it totally, yeah. it wouldn't even be a big deal. It would just be a very interesting conversation. Uh, and I don't mean interesting is like a facetious way of saying like torturous or something. No, it, we, it would just, just li literally be a fun conversation. Yeah, we'd, we'd call <laughs> Mike Heiser and say, Mike, okay, who's right? Yeah. yeah. Settle this, Mike. <laughs> Mike. That's exactly what Mike. Gons and I do. <laughs> yeah. It likely would be Derek because he's, uh, I have to respect my elders and. <laughs> <laughs> He has pointed out in every single interview we've done that my, I began my radio career, professional radio career, four years before he was born. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. that, there's a timeline for you. There's yeah. some date setting. So you guys were talking about these bands before the uh, and literally, I knew exactly none of them. <laughs> and these I, are like old bands to me, even. I yeah. used to be the guy who would those. I, I those was technically count director, as old school now. I was I was program director of a radio station in a top fifteen market in the United States, and it was my job to pick the hits. <laughs> I would tune in, connect with the young people, Derek. Yeah, don't touch this by MC Hammer. We were the first station in the country to drop 
to put nice. it on air. Yeah. I mean, there, <laughs> wow. you know, there were things like I was ahead of the curve on a lot of that stuff. And now it's like, I don't even know who you guys are talking about. Well, if it makes you, you feel put better, that on your resume, if it makes you feel any better, even, even we're outdated now, there's stuff going on in music today that I don't, I'm already, I've already been here for years where I don't get it. I, I it makes no sense to me. I, I think I had about 10 years of my life where I really felt like I got music. And it was only rock music. It was only one genre of music. And it yeah, well, even- you're a dad now. Yeah. You're not yeah, supposed yeah, to true. understand. Yeah, no, I've, I've, <laughs> it's in your DNA to just be completely <laughs> ignorant as to what's cool now. Now the only music Josh gets is Frozen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Sorry, over let it go man let it, yeah. go. let it go i've just retreated back to the 1920s i'm sticking with barbershop quartet and i'm not moving a <laughs> little bit of glenn miller for you there derek no no we don't go for that new eight new newfangled jazz stuff forget that <laughs> so i see the uh the pyramids and lights in the sky have made uh, another appearance on the cover of this book the covers of fringe christian books are the best pieces of modern art i can ever imagine oh yeah well, that's jeffrey, um, jeffrey martis jeffrey martis the He's, author of the book we referenced earlier what dwells beyond he does all of our covers and yeah they are phenomenal. go seriously people can go on amazon and see what books are competing with our they will not find even mainstream book you're not yeah, going to find better yeah. covers than what jeffrey's able to do yeah, defender publishing because mm-hmm. we've been able to you know Je- jeffrey enjoys working with us and, yep. and we love him and uh, so yeah defender publishing's book covers and may i add rose avenue fiction which is yeah. sharon the the imprint sharon and i are, are uh, using to promote Sharon's books, uh, Jeffrey's done the novel or the, the covers for Sharon's novels: uh, "Blood Lies," "Blood Rights," and "The Blood Is the Life." And the forthcoming "Realms of Stone," um, he's branded them, and they are awesome. You're right. We, I, I was saying to Sharon the other day, we need to put together a poster of Jeffrey Martis book covers. Yes, because I was going to say we need to get him on the show just to just to hear the man behind the magic. Well, he's uh, he he doesn't like to do interviews. So you oh. have to do it. Yeah, I got to do that through email. Yeah, I'll yeah. change that. I'll change that. We'll just <laughs> anyway. talk about old bands. But anyways, okay. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> so uh, here's a question for you, Josh. Uh, you you obviously uh, one of the uh, wonderful proprietors of knowledge concerning the multiverse. You mentioned earlier in the uh, uh, in the interview here that the multiverse, you know, transdimensional quality of these ETs. I'm curious about this. Why is that not more popular among the mainstream UFO community? Is that something you have an answer for? Yes, I do. It should be more popular and it is becoming more popular. I I think when it first started, it was because it's, it's a hard, you know, it's kind of a difficult concept. It's way easier to understand. Okay. Well, you know, other beings on another planet, you know, we're beings on this planet. So it's just that, but over there, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot easier to understand than, you know, extra dimensions. And what does it mean to, you know, be, be made of four dimensions of space instead of only three or, you know, how does time fit it? You know, it's just, it's, 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 a, it's a lot. It's a whole right. other. Yeah. So I think, I think the, e, and it, you know, the mainstream view is called the ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis. That's the aliens on another planet, you know, theory. Yeah. Um, but the, the, EDH, the extra dimensional hypothesis, is other dimensions. But there's actually more. Uh, it fit, that fits the evidence. The EDH, extra dimensional hypothesis, fits the evidence more than the extraterrestrial hypothesis does. Like for example, this, this is like just one small example of, of a lot. But uh, you know, some people have even filmed 
these these craft that look solid and metallic, but they're able to somehow change shape. They get really small or they blow up really big or they just disappear altogether. That doesn't make any sense with any kind of physical technology if you're only talking about physics from three spatial dimensions and, and one of time. But I, if you, I was going to say, I wonder because I've... Uh, I don't know if this is something I'm making up in my head or if this is something I've actually noticed or something that's been hypnotically implanted into my mind. But, uh, you know, nope. part part yeah. of me wonders if the multiverse sort of idea is almost a little bit too spiritual for a secular, right. uh, you is. know, ufologist. No, you're absolutely right. It is. And that, that's that's the other that's the other side of the coin of, of why people don't want to accept it. It, it is gaining more traction now, but uh, it's, it's because that's an area where we Christians can actually connect with the UFO community and be like, oh, hey, you know, actually our Bible talks a lot about these other dimensions. You know, we we have different names for them, but that's essentially what they're talking about. When you look at, um, you know, modern quantum physics theory on uh, what extra dimensions are, how they would behave, it is, I mean, I swear it's it's stuff right out of the Bible. You know, they won't say angels and stuff like that, but it's it's besides the exact terminology and classification of things, uh, it's the same concepts. So, like the, the the spaceship thing, you know, if you if you in in our three dimensional physics, and I'm just talking about dimensions of space. I'm not including time in with that. But uh, you know, having having a metallic craft, uh, what would be even if you had the technology to make it change shape and get small and get big, what would be the reason for that? It, it doesn't make any sense. But if you add another dimension. Uh, then that would be just a natural byproduct of something four-dimensional traveling in our three dimensions. So Flatland is like a, a, a common example that physicists will use. Chuck Missler's use it. I use it because uh, it really does help. Imagine a two-dimensional universe and uh, say it's just right in front of you and they're two-dimensional Flatlanders. Now, if you put your finger in Flatland, what is the two-dimensional Flatlander going to see? First, they're going to see a very small pinpoint of something you know, in front of them. But as your finger goes through, it's going to grow. Now, if you put two fingers in, they're going to see two things that can move independently. And the Flatlander would probably think that they're independent, you know, objects, but they are actually made of the same thing. You know, they're, they're both parts of your hands. Uh, you know, the Flatlander is just going to see, you know, the edge of a circle. Uh, they're not going to be able to, because they have no up or down. So they're not going to be able to see, you know, the full construct. Uh, if you keep going, if you keep putting all your fingers in there, you start off with five fingers, so they see like five weird circle things, you know, floating around in 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 their uh, in their view. If you keep putting your hand through, they'll see all five of these things converge together into one as your wrist goes through. You know, that's the same type of thing that we're seeing, but just add one dimension. So instead of circles, it's spheres. And how many times have people reported seeing UFOs where a bunch of spears come together into one big spear or something, and then that spear disappears? That's the same as if you pulled your hand out of Flatland. The thing would, you know, whatever the Flatlanders are, see are seeing would just disappear. Right. So it's a concept. You just add one dimension. That makes a lot more sense, and it's physically possible, whereas if you have some type of metallic craft, and you can have solid craft that do that. You know, my hand is solid, but it wouldn't appear to be to a Flatlander because it would be changing shape. Um, with the with these craft that are able to do this, what makes more sense is it does it make more sense that it's just a natural byproduct of being something extra dimensional uh, and it passing through our space, or does it make more sense that for some reason some alien somewhere built this amazing like metallic thing to be able to like change shape for no real reason? I mean, I, I can't imagine what benefit that would be, especially if they're in the craft and it becomes smaller than 
you know, I mean, so, some of these UFOs yeah. they shrink, and I mean, they're so small, like they, like there's there's size of a quarter even. Yeah, uh, it makes like, more sense for yeah. the multi dimensions than it does like a, a craft that completely turns our understanding of physics on its head. Exactly, and there oh, are man. plenty of uh, UFO researchers that believe the same thing. Jacques Vallée was one of the uh, one of the forerunners of this whole idea, but there there've been uh, a lot of others too. And so it, the the idea is gaining more traction. And the weird thing is. Because this phenomenon does follow the culture, I think you know the, the, these entities are starting to realize that. Because now it used to be, you know, you know, way way back decades ago, it was oh we're from Mars or we're from Venus. Well, then now we can study those planets and see nothing's going to live on Venus. You know, it's too, it's too hot, the pressure's too yeah. crazy. You know, uh, so then they branched out further. Well, actually, it's uh, Zeta Reticuli and Arcturus, and we're from there. Well, now now we can actually study exoplanets, and we have technology to be able to see, you know, to be able to see out that far. So now they're, it seems like they're getting a little nervous. Well, now all of a sudden, because we have EDH, you know, the extra-dimensional hypothesis, now it's contiguous universe. And now it's, uh, you know, Podesta's thinking that they're, you know, these things from parallel realities and higher dimensions. And now it, it that idea is getting more traction so these things are following the culture uh but i i think that that's more closely related to the truth anyway than than you know than it being just something biological on on another planet uh it may it makes sense with some of the abilities that they have like being able to pull somebody through a wall why wouldn't they just use a door even if they had the technology to uh, phase you out, uh, you know, and bring you, you know, abduct you, and have you go through a, a closed window or the wall. Why do that? Just open the door. It's so much easier. But it makes more <laughs> sense, it, it makes more sense if they're extra dimensional. Uh, just just like if there were a flatlander wall, you would just pull the flatlander up over the wall. Now the flatlander would have no idea what's going on because they don't know up. And to other flatlanders, it would look like he's disappearing. Just or, disappeared. Yeah. yeah. Or or going through the wall. So it would be the same type of effect, same type of phenomenon. You just add one more dimension. So I think that's why the extra dimensional hypothesis is gaining a lot more ground. Mm -hmm. And it is. You're right. You're. It is way more closely related to the the spiritual truth that we've known from the Bible. You know, for thousands of years. Josh points out, it gives us a great Mars Hill opportunity. It's like yes. Paul's, Paul on Mars Hill in, in Athens saying, hey, you seem to be really religious people and you got all these gods here. Let me tell you about this one. Mm -hmm. uh, because extra dimensionality is talking our language as Christians. That's right. Yeah, we, you know, we actually agree. Earth's been visited by non-human entities for thousands of years. They've been messing with humans. Yeah. So, yeah, there's our opportunity. There's the, the door's been opened for us. Yeah. And remember, there are more of them than there are of us. So let's quit preaching to the choir. Yeah, it's it's that Jastro quote about uh, scientists scaling the mountain of uh, materialism and then reaching theologians that have been sitting there for centuries. Um, yep. yep. And uh, I guess the last question here, because we're running out of time, but um, do you think that this book is something that uh, a newcomer to subjects like this can dive into? Or is yes. it something that, uh, okay, awesome. Yeah, because um, yeah, we... We tried not to assume any prior knowledge on, on the part of uh, readers, uh, but and so there are a lot of things that we cover in the book that are uh, really summaries that, that have been covered in a lot more depth elsewhere. Uh, so we'll, we right. mentioned the Roswell incident. We mentioned the Kenneth Arnold incident. We mentioned, um, we even address the, uh, the Dulce, mm -hmm. uh, the alleged Dulce base and conclude, no, there is nothing underground at Dulce because as Jacques Vallée asked, Linda Moulton Howe and William Moore and other prominent UFO researchers. Okay, you're telling me there's a city, an underground city the size of Manhattan <laughs> under the desert of New Mexico. Who takes out the garbage? Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Who's oh, come on. You got to love Dolce. This would have a heat signature that you could see from commercially accessible satellites from space, and you don't. But when you start asking hard questions like that, a lot of people in the UFO community are like, get no, 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 la, 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 Yeah, la. They, they, they get offended. Yeah. And, and really all we're doing, and you know, we're not saying stuff is impossible. It's just right, where, right. Is, where is the objective Let's proof? Let's think critically about this and demand yeah. demand evidence. Yeah, right? yeah. Where's where's the evidence without some interpretation around it? Because, and that, that's what, you, usually when you ask for evidence for this kind of stuff, people give you interpretations of things. Like, well, how, how do you know that we're being visited by other, you know, beings on other planets? Well, because we see lights in the sky. Okay, all you know is that there's lights in the sky. You don't know what it is. That's mm-hmm. interpretation by saying that it's aliens from another planet but we, we don't know that right. our interpretation is is you know it, well it could be something from the government or or it could be something extra dimensional we, we run through some possibilities in the book but they're all just interpretations the only thing that we have that's objective is that some people see lights in the sky mm-hmm. and so so it, it's it's that kind of search for more objective uh evidence that kind of leads us to some of the conclusions that we draw in the book uh but it, it's not anti-conspiratorial as derek even said before we're you know we're glad to talk about conspiracy well, right, all day right but. right and we and in fact we, we even point out in the book again some es- uh, incidents that have been more more uh deeply d- described you know in in more detail in other books but we point out how uh, you know besides the nine mm-hmm. and the connections there to the kennedy assassination and uh, and and uh, you know modern science television science fiction the presence of guys who were attached to the kennedy assassination and the early ufo incidents from 1947-48 guys like uh, guy banister who ran the fbi um, field office in mm-hmm. Butte, montana who was uh, he, he was filing reports that were designated SMX, like special material X that went to at J. Edgar Hoover. Mm-hmm. Actual X-Files, okay, <laughs> from 1947. Guy Bannister shows up in New Orleans during the period of time that uh, John F. Kennedy's, the, the plot to kill Kennedy was, was hatched and then carried out. Uh, investigated by Jim Garrison in the uh, district attorney in New Orleans as uh, somehow connected to the uh, the plot because Lee Harvey Oswald was working out of his office. Yeah, you know, with the the Fair Play for Cuba committee. So I mean, there were weird things. And another guy, Fred Chrisman, mm-hmm. not only connected to the uh, Kennedy assassination. Garrison apparently believed he was one of the tramps in the uh, the rail yard, um, but Chrisman was also connected to Michael Riconosciuto. Uh, Michael Riconosciuto, who, uh, boy, you know that, that that brings him into the realm of the octopus, which is a whole another yeah. show. Oh yeah, what? The, the Cabazon Indian Reservation and uh, uh, John Booth Nichols, and uh, you know the the plot to create uh, chemical weapons on an Indian reservation in California to sell to foreign governments. Uh, you know, Riconosciuto and Promise Software that was developed uh, that was stolen from a company called uh, Inslaw and then sold to other governments, but it's got a backdoor in it so the NSA could get into it. So, you know, all kinds of weird stuff <laughs> that somehow shows up connected to the UFO phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the point. Yeah. It's not that the government's trying to cover it up. It's that the government is trying to shape the narrative. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, without getting too in-depth, because for people who are coming at this new, we didn't want to overwhelm them with all of this stuff. It's like, look, right. just look at these strange connections here. Look at the fact that you've got this the fingerprints of government intelligence agencies all over uh, the earliest accounts and down to present day. And because this stuff with uh, this... this uh, report in December came out after the book was written. We didn't get into the 2004 USS Nimitz uh, account and uh, Tom DeLong's 
group to the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences and the fact that almost everybody on his board of directors comes right out of the intelligence community. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although we did we did publish all of his WikiLeaked uh, emails. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, I, I, and for people who are interested, I did write an article about this in the uh, the March issue of, um, no, not March, the uh, February issue of Skywatch yeah. TV magazine um, and, and showed, you know, all of these weird connections. I mean, the guy who was the, the project manager for Lockheed Martin's Skunk Works is now working with Tom DeLonge. So, you know, again, yeah. when you look at things like this and you look at these, these uh, incidents uh, over the last 70 years and you have to ask, you know, why is the government, why is the FBI, why is the Defense Intelligence Agency, the CIA getting involved in these stories? What, what purpose could it be? It, it's it's got to be one of a few things. Uh, perhaps uh, these guys working with Tom DeLonge now are trying to capitalize on decades of experience, very unique experience, mm -hmm. uh, to try to make a living. Um, okay, get that. Okay, we, you're going to develop new television shows and movies about aliens and extraterrestrials because, as Josh says, there aren't enough of them already. <laughs> um, or possibly... It's the intelligence community doing what the intelligence community always does, which is try to shape the narrative. They yeah. want us to think a certain way about the existence of extraterrestrial life. Why? Well, maybe it's because they don't want the Chinese and the Russians knowing that we have uh, some kind of craft, maybe a drone, that can fly 3,600 miles an hour, mm -hmm. you know, 15 years ago, uh, which, by the way, is half again as fast as an F-18, um, so, you know, it, faster than even the, our fastest plane, the SR-71 Blackbird. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, maybe we don't want the Russians and Chinese knowing about that. Or maybe, as Paul wrote, principalities, powers, rulers of spiritual darkness are influencing what's going on here. And they want us to think a certain way yep. about the UFO phenomenon and about the abduction phenomenon. Uh, and so that's what we wanted to get people thinking in the book. And it's, I think, a relatively quick read because, you know, if we had really spent several years on the research behind the book, we would have made the same point, but we could have made a book that's about four times longer. Oh, yeah. And yeah. a lot harder to get through. So the Easily. point, yeah. Um, yeah, just the wealth of so, evidence. Yeah, so wh whether somebody's coming at this completely new or whether they're a seasoned expert in, in all things UFO and fringe Christian related, uh, th this is definitely the book uh, for them because, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, again, it's it's a completely unique book. Nothing like this has ever been written before. Uh, and, and you know, I'll let, I I know we're running out of time. There, um, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that we haven't even got to, like oh, yeah. Le Leviathan and the Chaos Dragon, and how that how Leviathan connects with uh, the Book of Revelation and 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 uh, you know the Beast and all the Beast out of the Sea, and, how, and there, the there's weird connections between Aleister Crowley, H.P. Lovecraft, oh, and Eric man. von Daniken. Yeah, oh yeah, and the whole H alien stuff, and, and the Waterworld exoplanets and signals from space. There's there's a whole bunch of stuff that uh, we haven't even had time to talk talk about but uh but but just to make the point that whether somebody feels like they're already an expert in this stuff i promise you have not read a book like this and you're going to want to get this book and if you are uh completely new to the topic don't feel overwhelmed because we lay everything out very simply and like uh derek said we assume uh we don't assume any prior you you, you know knowledge on 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 this stuff so we we briefly summarize uh things that that might be new uh so again for people that want to pick up the book go to officialdisclosure.com and get it there and you get like $400 worth of uh free interviews and fr free stuff that won't w will not be released uh, anywhere else on Amazon or anywhere else so people can go to officialdisclosure.com and check that out Boom. Awesome. Well, everybody, make sure to go check it out. This sounds like the book for you if you are a fan of Canary Cry Radio or any of the information thereof. Uh, we're going to have to get our free PDF copies from you guys one of these days. <laughs> we'll send it today. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Well, uh, Derek, Josh, <laughs> thank you Derek. guys. <laughs> thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. Uh, you. you know, yeah, you, I gotta let you guys know, but don't tell anybody else this. You guys are one of our favorites. One of or your favorites. You both together which, which you, count one as you, one of. Which one do you like? Which half of us do you like? <laughs> so, uh, Derek. That's it. I'm calling Heiser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Heiser will settle this for us. <laughs> oh, gosh. If we, we, we can do a five-way interview with uh, Heiser and really just uh, blow this That'd place awesome. up. Yeah. That would be awesome. All right. Well, one more time, give uh, give the location for the uh, uh, to, for the ability to purchase this book, and uh, we'll let you guys go. Earth, Earth, <laughs> yeah. It's on, oh, officialdisclosure.com. <laughs> Written by humans on Earth. Yes. yes. Good luck. <laughs> All right. Well, Derek Gilbert, Josh Peck, or Josh Peck, Derek Gilbert. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to get you guys back on very soon because I'm sure you're working on another project. Absolutely. Always. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Well, there you have it, folks. There's there's your either your introduction to Derek Gilbert and Josh Peck or just one more notch in the uh, tally list of awesome times that Derek and Josh have made us laugh, entertained us, and cry, and, and cry, especially cry, yes. and and uh, taught us a little bit about the world. And so, if you have if you haven't yet, you're going to want to go pick up a copy of that book. Um, Guns, I don't, I've, no, I still haven't received my PDF. I was going to ask you if uh, if that PDF came, and as we publish this, um, you know, there's a gap between the recorded. Oh yeah. Oh, also, there's a baby. Yeah, there's a baby. Yeah, she's got something to say to Derek and Josh. <laughs> Send me my PDF. <laughs> well, let her speak for herself. Go ahead. That was her. Oh. <laughs> there we go. Very good, baby. Oh, good job. Okay. Yes. Okay, so if you guys enjoyed this episode, head on over to Facebook uh, and search out the Canary Cry community. This is an awesome community that we started on uh uh, Facebook a little while back it has it, we're getting pretty close to a thousand members and you may think well that's just too big that's too many people my conversation will get lost in the mess no this is happens to be I'm very impressed with the Canarians who have joined the group there are some very thoughtful conversations going on there plus people are getting a great chance to fellowship with uh, people who think just like them and dis there's a Canary Cry Radio re-listen project going on yeah. where the the whole group is going through the entire Canary Cry Radio uh, collection, the archives, listening to one episode a week and discussing it on the group, which has just been really fun to watch happen, um, and, and a lot, lot more. Uh, so make sure to go to Facebook and search out the Canary Cry community, ask to join, and after uh, we deep delve into your metadata, <laughs> make say, sure we're you're collecting all your data. <laughs> make sure you're not a thanks a, Zuckerberg, uh, either a robot or a CIA operative. You will be allowed into the group. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think it goes to say too. I just wanted to mention we do screen who enters the group, and we do have active uh, uh, moderators in the group too. So it's not not necessarily kind of this wild west where. 
you know, people get into crazy Facebook fights and everything. There's, we got a, we got a sheriff in town. Uh, um, those canary cry boys, they're, they're cracking down. Those, can, yeah. They're those selling were, out. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's um, the only reason why I still even have my Facebook account, I would say. It's that community Why? Group. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely log on more for that community group than anything else. Um, you know, I, I just enjoy going through and seeing what uh, our listeners are up to and what they're talking about. I know it's a great uh, way to spy on our listeners. <laughs> well, collecting all their data. We don't actually get your data. Don't be afraid. No, we don't. Um, but also, if you would head to iTunes and leave a rating and review, we can't stress it enough. It really does help spread the word. And the only thing that helps spread the word even more than iTunes reviews is uh, going out and telling a friend. Going out and rattling some cages. Yeah. So if you have somebody out there who uh, needs their cage rattled a little bit, go tell them about the show. Pre- either prepare them or don't prepare them. Maybe it's somebody who <laughs> thinks you're totally normal and then just make a very casual <laughs> podcast recommendation. Yeah, that would <laughs> just, just shock and just, them. And just watch it unfold. Like throwing yourself into cold water. I got a question for you. Okay. Is there a review that you are prompted to read on air? Uh, you know, I don't have it open right in front of me. Do you have one? Uh, but this whole thing was supposed to be for you to get prompted to read. Because I could read a bunch of these, and I love all of them. Okay. Well, if iTunes would open on my computer, which it doesn't like doing when my sound card is distracted by recording. You don't have a second sound card? I don't know. This isn't computer talk <laughs> with Gons and Basil. I'm just saying iTunes isn't opening. So if you've got a good, uh, if you've got a good, uh, yeah, yeah, I got one here. Um, this, thing, this, let me know. This one is uh, just one guy. It's titled "If Only Basil Would Show Up," and uh, it says here, "Gons is awesome, but Basil adds a certain flavor to the show. Without Basil, it's delicious Asian brain cuisine for your spiritual tummy, and Basil is the humorous hot sauce when he shows up." That's me. Humorous hot sauce when I'm there. You know, you can't have hot sauce with every single meal. That's how you get, I don't know, ulcers or something? Eh, it depends on, on your lifestyle. That's how you get spicy. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, okay. Let's see. I'm, I'm, I, I got my iTunes open. I figured it out. I had to open it as administrator. Oh, wow. Yeah. I like this one. This is from Where I End. Uh, worth checking out if, uh, if the subject matter interests you. Five stars. Thank you very much. The hosts can sometimes be a little corny, but the subjects they cover are fascinated and the podcast has good sound quality at least. I think that's a, that's a very fair and balanced five-star review. That's, that's fair. We are a little <laughs> didn't, corny. Didn't lay it on too thick and uh, not afraid to, to uh, lay down just some slight negging. As the kids, <laughs> as the kids call it, that's okay. Thank you very much. Where I end uh, for that review. So if you guys want to go do that, you you will really be making our day. Plus, Gons and I get to read them, and it feels good. Um, I did wanna I did wanna plug the Joy Spiracy theory. Okay. Um, it, many of you listen to my other show, The Joy Spiracy Theory, my little my little baby, my little side project. If you haven't done it yet, go uh, search The Joy Spiracy Theory. It's on iTunes, it's on YouTube, it's on Libsyn. It's, it should be on uh, quite a few of the platforms. 
Um, but I just did an episode with Natalina from Extraordinary Intelligence. And many people have uh, contacted you and I, Gons, asking if we have heard anything from Natalina. And uh, we had not for a while, but I got her on the show. And if you want to know what Natalina from Extraordinary Intelligence has been doing and what all the wonderful things happening in her life and uh, hear her and I sing a little song together and all sorts of good stuff, head over, check out uh, the Joy Spiracy Theory. Uh, you can find it on Facebook. You can find it on iTunes. It's all over the place. So go do that. And, you know, while you're at it, you can leave a rating and review for that, too. Okay. Now, now I'm done. Okay. I got okay. face like the sun too. Go check it out. More next time here on Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in. But until then, think outside the cage. Woo! That was a good ending. <laughs> <laughs>